Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, loved ones, what a joy it is to uh, be back with you. Let's open up our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. Hey, where's the preschool class? Put your hand up if you're in the preschool class. Hey, we love having you in this service, preschools. Come on. We love you, but here, here's the thing I'm going to say, kids. Ready? Ready? Eyes up. Here's the thing I'm going to say. When you're up here, your eyes are in the Bible, and you are following along, okay? So let's get ready, because the Lord has a word for you tonight, all right? And so if you have questions, I'm going to do my best to make it as clear as possible under the Holy Spirit, but if you have questions, just ask your parents, all right? Ask people around you, and we're going after the Lord together. Love you so much. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 to 5. And uh, if you do not have a copy of God's word, put your hand up right now because our ushers are coming forward and we want to put a Bible in your lap. Okay, just put your hand up nice and high and they'll put that in your lap. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 to 5. Okay, here's why it's so important to get a Bible in your hands because right now we're going to hold them up. Everyone hold up your Bibles. Here we go. Love this. Here it is. Ready? The word of God is a lion. Let it out of the cage, and it'll fend for itself. I'll say it again. Bible's up. Here we go. The word of God is a lion. Let it out of the cage, and it'll fend for itself. This is called like hype corner over here. I love it. All right, praise the Lord. We got hype corner right here. Come on. Love it. Okay, let it out of the cage and it'll fend for itself. Martin Luther said that many, many years ago and it still holds true today. And why is that so crucial to remember? Because of this truth that you'll see on the screen. The work of God is done by the power of God through the word of God. The work of God, write it down, is done by the power of God through the Word of God. And if we are to see the work or the mission of God accomplished, fulfilled, that is to make disciples of all nations, we must, by the Spirit of God, preach, here it is, preach the Word of God boldly. Now let's get an idea. You may hear bold. That word boldly, and you'll be like, I'm just not a bold person. Like, it, let's just get some clarity here. Uh, boldness is not getting your face red, spitting on people because you're shouting, and pounding your Bible in front of them. Boldness can be simply described in two words. Ready? Write it down. Boldness equals, kids, boldness equals, write it down, Courageous clarity. Boldness equals courageous clarity. Now, if we're going to see the work or mission of God accomplished, you say, wait a second, isn't the Bible like kind of that an old book? Hasn't it lost its relevance? Don't we have to come up with some gospel gimmicks in order to like attract people in, have the fresh facilities and, and like the crazy youth ministries and all this stuff to attract people in? Hey, hey, hey. Don't believe me the word of God is enough? 
Just look at Romans 10, 14 to 17. You'll see it on the screen. Watch this. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear, ready, without someone, say it, preaching. Say it again, preaching. Preaching. The New Testament term for preaching is caruso, which means to herald God's word. All right? It's bringing a message. How are they to hear without someone preaching to them? You know, there's a saying, preach the gospel and use words if necessary. It's the wrong saying. Based on the authority of God's word, it's preach the gospel and use words because they're necessary. How are they to believe without someone preaching? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Now you may see that and, and get a little fearful. You may say this, well, I'm not a preacher. I'm not gonna do what you're doing, Pastor Ray, right now. I'm not a preacher. Why is this message so crucial for me? Glad you asked. Because if you are saved in Christ, here's the reality. You are a disciple of Christ, right? And if you are a disciple of Christ, you are called to proclaim Christ. If you have repented of your sin and trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are a disciple of Christ. And if you are a disciple of Christ, you are called to proclaim Christ. And your pulpit, let's get really clear, your pulpit may not be at the front of a church like mine right now. Okay? But your pulpit might be your classroom that you're teaching. Your pulpit might be your front yard when you're raking leaves and cutting grass and your neighbor comes by. Your pulpit may be your workplace, the lunchroom. Your pulpit may be your dinner table with your family and anyone else who you're opening your home to hospitality with. But there's a problem that gets in the way of us preaching the gospel. And it is a five-letter word. See if you can guess it. Starts with a P and rhymes with tide. Go. Say it. Pride. Pride. Right? And as a result of our pride manifesting in our heart, we're often not bold in preaching the gospel because we depend, get this, more on ourself and other things than the Lord as self-reliance. I have to be the one to save that person. I have to make sure they have a good opinion of me. I have to be the one to convince them replaces Christ-reliance. Self-reliance replaces Christ-reliance. I fear what people think. I fear I'll get the wrong words. I have to be the one to convince them. I have to be the one to change them. I have to use the right gimmicks to attract them. I have to have the right strategy, maybe even change and water down the message of the gospel a little bit. I've got to know all the facts of theology, and the results are ultimately up to me. Has anyone in this room ever felt like that at any point in time? Of course. This is what this section of the text is addressing. So beautiful. Let's tune in. You say, well then, how are we called to proclaim the gospel? Well, it starts right here. Big idea. You'll see it on the screen. Write this down. Here's the big idea of these five verses. To preach God's word boldly, you must preach Christ in his power. 
There it is. Their simple, faithful proclamation. To preach God's word boldly, you must preach Christ in his power. And here in our text today, we're going to see true truths that we must embrace if we are to be a church that preaches the gospel boldly through Christ's power and see him display his power and change lives for his glory. Not by might, not by our power, but by his spirit. Amen, says the Lord of hosts. Let's go, let's stand to honor the authority of God's word. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. Let's read it nice and loud, kids. Let's go. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 to 5. Proclaiming Christ crucified. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Hear the word of the Lord and all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. First thing we see right here from the first two verses is this. To preach God's word boldly, you must depend on one message. You must depend on one message alone. And what's that message? Christ crucified. Christ crucified. See, the gospel is the foundation of bold preaching. The gospel is the foundation of all bold preaching. Question for you and I, are you simply proclaiming it? Are you simply proclaiming it. Let's get our context. We're in first century, early church, 53 to 55 AD. And the apostle Paul is in Ephesus, which is modern day Turkey. And he's writing to a church that he planted on his second missionary journey, the church in Corinth in southern Greece. You'll see a map on the screen. So there's Paul over in Ephesus. And here is the church over in Corinth. Now look at Corinth's location. It's pretty strategic. It's right along the coast. And Corinth was a key crossroads for sea traffic. And it was a major, major trade city in Greece where many cultures and religions mingled together. Now Corinth was a destination for traveling professional orators. And what that means is professional speech givers. They loved to give speeches. And they loved it so much and were so high on themselves that they charged a fee for attendance to come and hear me give a speech. They charged a fee for attendance at rhetorical displays. And, and at these displays, they taught people how to advance socially. You're like, what does that have to do with anything? Well, in the Greco-Roman, this is why context is so key. In the Greco-Roman world, you achieved influence by speaking with rhetorical finesse. The smoother you were with your speech, the quicker you would advance because of your influence. 
But there's a danger that's happening here. And the danger is this worldly mindset. We do the same thing. That guy talks really smooth and, wow, so good, such a good communicator, right, right? Otherwise, TED Talks wouldn't even exist. It's like, why would you tune in? They have no sense. Go and, like, share the gospel with your neighbor. Like, honestly, it's like we do the same thing today. We've just repackaged it differently. Same thing. There's nothing new under the sun, Ecclesiastes says. But the danger here that the Corinthian church is facing and that you and I are facing in the church today and all across this world is that this worldly mindset is crept into the church and is creating divisions and factions, just as it was with the Corinthian church here, and competitions over who had excellence of speech. If you read through chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, you see some say, well, I follow Paul. I follow him. Others are saying, well, I follow Cephas. Others are saying, well, I follow Apollos. And others are still saying, well, I follow Christ. And they were dependent. The church was increasingly dependent on the abilities of themselves and their pastors to ultimately bring people to Christ. If you just said it smooth enough, people would come to Jesus. If you just put on a good enough show, people would come. You don't think the church is falling victim to that today? You bet it is. You bet it is. Sacrificing the presence of God for performance in his name. Reads my heart. And here's Paul. He's calling on the church to reject self-reliance and self-sufficiency. Reject the self-sufficiency and set their lives and hope on the gospel and not in the various preachers and themselves that they were taking pride in their abilities to convince or persuade people. Paul says this in these first five verses. It's time to get back to Christ, church. It's a good word for the church today, man. It's time to get back to Christ. Forget your preferences, forget your oratory skills. It's time to get back to Jesus. This is why he says in verse one and two, go back to the text right here. And I, Paul says, when I came to you, brothers, and the Greek word there you'll see there can mean brothers and sisters. He's talking to the church. Did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. See, Paul says here that when he preached the gospel to the Corinthians and established the church by the power of the Holy Spirit, notice the text. He didn't preach with lofty speech or what would be considered human wisdom. Circle the word wisdom there. This is really important for our witness faithful proclamation. The word wisdom there in the Greek means high-sounding words, big theological terms, with eloquent superiority based on human skill, wisdom, and intellect. Why? Because of verse 2. Look at the text. Because Paul had decided, the word decided there isn't like, well, I decided today I'll flop tomorrow. No, the word means resolved. 
Paul had resolved to focus on and teach nothing else except the simple message of Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's called the gospel. This is Gospel Preaching 101. Bold, clear, simple, and urgent. There it is. Now, live in the text. Here's what Paul is saying. He says, I'm going back to the basics. You take your oratory skills. You take your performances. I'm going back to the basics. I'm going with Christ-reliance, not self-reliance. I'm not going to depend on any of what you think is necessary in terms of a new message, in terms of gimmicks, in terms of personality, in terms of eloquence, in terms of persuasive ability. Why? Because he says right here, none of that can change or persuade or save anyone. It's absolutely powerless to trust in yourself and your abilities. Why? Because men cannot, we have to understand this, let this truth, the gospel truth, free you in your witness. Men and women and children cannot come to God by human wisdom or ability. Your neighbor cannot come to God by your wisdom or ability. It's just, it's impossible. So here's what Paul says. I'm going to depend on the only message that can save, the simple message of the cross. He says, keep all your human wisdom and messages. I'm just going to get to the gospel and declare that Jesus Christ is fully God. That Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That Jesus Christ was not created by God. Jesus Christ is eternal with God. He was in the beginning. That Jesus Christ is the begotten Son of God, born of the Virgin Mary, conceived by the Holy Spirit. This is just vintage gospel right here. Conceived of the Holy Spirit, fully God, and yet incarnated in the flesh as fully man at the same time. Not one nature melded together, two distinct natures in one person. Fully God, fully man. And that Jesus Christ came and lived a perfect life for 33 years. He did not sin once. And when God's time had come for him, he went to the cross to pay the penalty for your sin and mine. And the wrath of God, the Father, was poured out on Jesus on the cross. God's hatred against sin, that is the penalty that you and I deserve, which ultimately leads to death and separation from him in hell for eternity. The place of eternal torment, the weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus died. He didn't just pass out and then was somehow revived again later. He died. The Romans knew how to kill people. And he was buried in a tomb for three days. And then on the third day, he rose again, defeating the power of sin and death for all time. And he was raised to life. And now, for all who repent of their sin and turn from their sin and confess him as Lord and Savior, here's the promise, eternal life. He is the only Messiah. He offers the forgiveness of sin. And when we receive him, we are justified in God's sight, just as if we had never sinned. Awesome. And we are declared righteous before God. 
He who knew no sin became sin for us that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And he's coming back again. There's the gospel. The true gospel based on God's word. Anything different is not the true gospel. End of story. This is what Paul is proclaiming here. And you see today why this is so important, loved ones, is there's an increasing reliance individually and as entire churches on human wisdom, gimmicks, abilities to try and attract and persuade people to come to Christ. We are trying increasingly to manufacture or manipulate people's responses. And they cease to depend on the simple faithful preaching of the gospel and they begin to depend on themselves and you and I can do it too. Quite often. And the result, what's the result? Just go over 1 Corinthians 1.17. Look a few verses back. You'll see the result of us trying to be eloquent. 1.17. For Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel and not with words of eloquent wisdom. Uh Uh-oh, here's the result. Lest the cross be emptied of its power. That's what happens when you and I try to get fancy. The cross is empty of his power because we are stepping into God's place. If God wanted it any fancier, he would have wrote it down for us. And our church, Hope Ottawa, and our fellowship of churches, the Great Commission Collective, we are committed to this simple gospel proclamation every time you come here on a Saturday every time you bring someone every time you launch into a small group or you're on a service team and you're doing your devotions or you're in your discipleship classes all of it points to Jesus of how Charles Spurgeon said in one sermon Charles Spurgeon was known he is known as the prince of preachers one of the greatest preachers who lived, but he said this, he says, no Christ in your sermon, sir? Then go home and never preach again. Until you have something worth preaching. A.K.A. until Christ is back in the center of that sermon and human ability and man are out. Go home and never preach again. And so if you see people up here in this pulpit, if you have a small group leader or a service team leader or a biblical counselor, they are all trained in this. Everything points to Christ because we're powerless. We're not out for humanism. You can do it. Just try harder. You're the hero of your story. That, honestly, in love I say this, that is garbage. Absolute garbage. And no power to change a life. Just hear the word of the Lord. Nothing but Christ crucified. The simple gospel proclamation in our services and in hope kids and hope youth. Hey youth. Hey young people. Eyes up. Those who are in youth group. Those who are coming to be in youth group. Lord willing in the coming years. Listen. Every time you gather as the youth you're going to hear the gospel preached. Every time. You invite your friend who's a non-believer, he or she's going to hear the gospel preached. Because it's the only power to save. 
It's the only power to change. Men's and women's ministry. Men, if you have not signed up yet for our men's brunch, do so tonight. Last day's tomorrow. You're going to hear the gospel preached. Women, same thing. You'll hear it preached. And why are we so committed to this? Why? Because the gospel is the foundation of bold preaching. Are you simply, just simply, don't make it complex. Are you just simply proclaiming it? Are you proclaiming it to non-believers that salvation is in Christ alone? To your coworkers, your classmates, your neighbors. Can I just say this? It just use this little kiss rule. It's called keep it simple. Just keep it simple. People, here's why. Because people shouldn't need a seminary degree to understand what you're saying. Just keep it simple. And they shouldn't need a seminary degree to be saved in Christ. Here, I'm going to give you a real simple five-point gospel uh, witness proclamation for you, okay? So write this down. It's called the Romans Road. It is a really good launching pad for sharing the gospel. Here we go. Start with Romans 3.23, loved ones. It says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You don't get to the good news of the gospel until you've told the bad. So often you hear it from the pulpit today, you hear it in the witness today, just take out the bad news. Well, why do you need a savior then? There's no, why would you need to be saved if you don't know what you need to be saved from? Romans 3.23, start right there. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Romans 6.23 is next. But the wages of sin, that means the end result of our sin is death. The wages of sin is death, but, great news, ready? Here's the turning point, Romans 5.8. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinners, Christ died for us, out of his love for us. And then go to Romans 10, 9 to 10, write it down, just real simple. And the gospel is so clear. The word of God is so clear. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. And lastly, Romans 10, 13. All who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Just start right there. And then let the Holy Spirit do his work and take that conversation for his glory. Right there. We had a neighbor over at our house today and did this exact thing with them. Around our table at family devotion. And there's hunger for that because there's a longing in our heart to hear the truth. But we don't just proclaim the gospel to non-believers. We're also called to proclaim it to believers. The gospel, here's what we have to understand about the gospel. The gospel is not just for salvation, saving us and giving us eternal life. Here's the thing. The gospel is also the power for sanctification. The gospel is our power for sanctification. That's why, that's why you can't just leave the gospel at, okay, you're saved, now you're kind of on your own. And don't we try to do this? Okay, I'm saved, now it's up to me to grow in Christ. No, 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 no. 
We need to preach the gospel to one another, to ourselves every day, our brothers and sisters in all parts of our life, in our marriages. Be preaching the gospel to each other. Remind one another of your identity that you have in Jesus Christ as being adopted as sons and daughters of God. Preach the gospel to your children. Love you, kids. Lord, raise up a generation that fears your name. Amen? Preach the gospel to your children again and again and again. When you're struggling, preach the gospel to yourself or your brother and sister in Christ when you're struggling in fear to remind them there is no fear in Christ, but perfect love casts out fear. That's a beautiful truth of the gospel. You don't have to live chained by fear anymore. When you're feeling you're struggling with doubt, Remind them of the truth of the gospel. When you're struggling with worry and this pattern of sin and you're like, you're struggling and it just comes back again and again and again and you just, does anyone get like this? You just seem like you can't get any traction over that thing. It just keeps rearing its ugly head. Preach the gospel that there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus and that he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Boom. Put some gospel power in that conversation. Don't sit here and be like, I have to try harder. You're just going to be filled with self-pity. See, true preaching that God blesses. Here, here it is. True preaching that God blesses will simply herald the true gospel. Is it? He gave us one message. The entire Bible points to that message. Every passage. We don't come up with the message. We just proclaim what he said is enough. You'll see it on the screen. We must believe this, loved ones. The message of God is enough to accomplish the work of God. The message, you think, yeah, but you don't know my coworkers. No, I don't, but God sure does. And he says, that message can touch that heart. You say, well, you don't know my neighbors. Yeah, I don't. But God sure does. And he says, that message can get that heart. You just feel the confidence growing? Come on. Who has God put around? Just write them down. Who's God put around you that needs to hear that message? And you might think, oh, they're too hard. They're too far. <clears throat> nope. Let's get right theology. None is too far from the arm of the Lord. Write it down. Who's around you? Will you simply proclaim the gospel? Eyes up here. Eyes up here. Let it out. It'll fend for itself. To preach God's word boldly, you must depend on one message, Christ crucified. And with this final point today, let's tune in. You must depend on one power, one power to see Christ magnified. Christ magnified. Only Christ's power can change a heart. Question is, we leave here, as we go into our families and our neighborhoods and our workplaces, is quite simply this. Who will you depend on? Who are you going to depend on? Look at verses 3 to 5. After describing the content of the message, the simple gospel, Paul now moves on to the delivery of the message. Moving from the what to now the how we are called to proclaim it. 
And he comes back to the same theme he's been hammering in verses one and two, that the only thing that can produce saving and sanctifying faith in one's heart is not the quote-unquote wisdom or skills of a human preacher. Let ourselves off the hook, please. But God's power alone that magnifies Christ alone. You say, well, how do, you, how do I know if the Holy Spirit is going to be magnifying Christ, if that's really his mission. You go over to John 16, 14, you'll see that by the power of the Holy Spirit, here's what Jesus says in the upper room discourse. He goes, he, that is the Holy Spirit, will glorify me, for he will take what is mine, the word of God, and declare it to you. That's the mission of the Holy Spirit, to glorify Jesus Christ through his people. All right? So the Spirit will take what is Christ, the message of the word of God, the gospel, and declare it to them. Okay, so how is Christ magnified? Through simple proclamation and dependency on him. Here it is. Write this down. Christ magnified when I preach in my weakness. Christ will be magnified when I preach in my weakness, recognizing this truth, that I am inadequate. I am inadequate. And man, isn't that a shot to our pride? Doesn't our world like to say, you're enough. You're the master. You can do everything you want. Gospel is radical. It says you're inadequate. You're inadequate to change life. Look at verse three. Let's read it together. And I was with you in, look at this, weakness and in fear and much trembling. Where's the pride in Paul's statement right there? I'm just so good, and I've got all this experience, and I've gone to every evangelistic workshop there is. In fact, I'm writing the word of God. What does he say? Fear, weakness, much trembling. The word weakness, circle it in the text, big circle. It means frailty. It means Paul's feeling timid. He's feeling inadequate. And he's struggling with insecurity. Does anyone ever struggle with insecurity? Sharing the gospel? Yeah, you bet we do. See, Paul's not feeling like he had the strength or capacity to preach the gospel faithfully. And so Paul declares that he felt insecure and inadequate to do what Christ asked him to do. And on top of this, notice the text, verse 3, he was fearful and trembling at the seriousness of the mission and he distrusted in his ability to fulfill it. Does that, just think about, this is the Apostle Paul. Does that encourage you? Does this just encourage you a little bit to know that uh, the guy who God commissioned to write two-thirds of the New Testament and to plant tons of churches, um, <clears throat> one of the greatest apostles who ever lived, is feeling fearful proclaiming the gospel. He's feeling inadequate and insecure. I don't know about you. I'm really encouraged by that. Because here's the thing we need to realize. You'll see it on the screen. The first step of faithful gospel preaching is not to trust in your ability to do it. The first step of all faithful gospel preaching is to not go into that meeting, to that opportunity, that conversation, trusting in your ability to proclaim it. It's over before it begins at that point. 
See, I love how one pastor said this recently. He said, no man who's full of himself can ever truly preach Christ who emptied himself. I'm just going to say that again. Just let it hang there. No man who is full of himself can ever truly preach Christ who emptied himself. Are you trying to change people? Am I? Christ magnified when I preach in my weakness, knowing I'm inadequate. Secondly, we see from the text, Christ magnified when I preach in his power, knowing he is sufficient. He is sufficient. Look at verses four to five. Let's read together. Eyes in the text. Kids, eyes back to the text. Verses four to five. Love seeing your Bibles. Let's go. Four to five. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. See, again, Paul repeats that his preaching of the gospel was not done in plausible. So look at the word plausible. That's just a big word that just means this, persuasive or catchy. Paul's not using persuasive or catchy words of human wisdom. The, he's not trying to have a, every line of his sermon be retweetable. Twitter's still a thing, yeah? Okay, good. He's not trying to make every line of his sermon retweetable. How many pastors are trying to do that today? Caring more about their social media reputation than Christ's reputation. Grieves the heart of God. He's not trying to be snappy and fancy and get all over social media and these unattractive words that Paul was using, just the simple words, gave a demonstration, verse four, notice that, demonstration means convincing proof that they were of the Holy Spirit and the power of God. Because here's the truth, Paul's own weakness in preaching demonstrated that the message, get this loved ones, was of divine, not human origin because people were still being saved and sanctified by God's power in spite of Paul's weakness. There's the demonstration of power. You're like, that's not attractive, but people are getting saved. What's going on here? That's not attractive, but people are growing in hunger and maturity and holiness and humility before the Lord? Where's the flash? Where's the flare? Where's the eloquence? See, Paul's dependency was on the power of God alone, the Spirit of God at work in him. That's by, by his Spirit we preach boldly. And this is exactly where the dependency needs to be. Why? Look at the screen. Don't forget this. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says this. But he said to me, this is God speaking this to Paul. He says, my grace, loved one. Hey, kids, remember these verses. Right up your eyes. My grace is sufficient for you. In that conversation, when you're at the grocery store, my grace is sufficient for you in your workplace. For why? Connector word, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Not when you're full of yourself. Not when you're trying to win the argument. Not when you're trying to go all out to convince someone. Oh, if I just, how many times do we get out of a gospel conversation, sharing our faith, and it's like, oh, if I had just said this. Ever experience that? Let's get past ourselves. If the Holy Spirit wanted you to say that, he would have given you that in that moment. Let's let ourselves off the hook, okay? 
If I had just done, mm, whose dependency are you depending on? For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast. This is such a radical perspective from this world. I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on me. I'm going into that conversation knowing I'm not enough. I'm going in. The power of Christ will rest on you. God's hand is on the humble. And this is like me, right? I'm right in this with you right now, loved ones. This is the tension I face every week. You can ask my wife this. I don't know how many times we talk about this through the week. I am completely inadequate to save you, to change your mind. I just, I can't do it. And this is the tension I feel every week because it's like 30 plus hours on a sermon and I don't even know if anyone's going to change. But all I know is that God's word's going to go forth and it's going to not come back void. And that's enough for me to get in the pulpit again. God help me. You know, one of my biggest concerns for upcoming preachers is their dependency on themselves to do what only God can do. Pray. Pray for those God is raising up in this church. My biggest concern for our small group leaders too. For our biblical counselors, for our ministry leaders, all of it that they're depending on their self for what only God can do. So how do we, let's get practical, how do we depend on Christ's power? What's a life of dependence look like? Get your pens out as we land the plane here. How do we depend on Christ's power? Life of dependence. We cling to his word. We cling to his word and humbly approach him. We cling to his word, a lifestyle of abiding, individually, coming before him in our quiet time, not forsaking that, Loved ones, there's always going to be a reason to not be in God's word. I'm too tired. I'm too this. I'm too that. If we're too busy to be in God's word, we're just too busy. Something's got to give. We cling to God's word because if we take Jesus' word seriously in John 15, that apart from me you can do nothing of any spiritual good, we're clinging. And we're coming under it humbly, saying, Lord, speak to me. No defensiveness, just ditching the defensiveness. I'm coming with a teachable posture. So we cling to God's word individually, but also you being here is a statement of dependence on God's word, because he says, don't stop meeting together. So we cling to it individually, but we cling to it corporately. Don't stop meeting in your small groups. Make that a priority. Circle that night of the week. Don't stop services being a priority. Coming together, it's this act of dependence. Saying, Lord, we need you. The church is not meant to be a social club. Secondly, a life of dependence. We humbly approach God through his word, but also we humbly confess to God through prayer. Prayer, saying, Lord, I can't do this. I can't do this. I need you. Prayer is our declaration of dependence repenting of the times we're resting in ourselves and our own abilities and asking in line with God's word to do what only he can do. And by God's grace, Lord willing, our first, uh, see hand of sovereignty on this, our first service in our new facility next week is gonna be on fervent prayer. Bring it on. 
Why? Because God says, my house will be a house of, not your eloquence, my house will be a house of prayer for all nations. And so prayer is our declaration of dependence. And then lastly, how do we depend on Christ's power, a life of obedience, approach him humbly through the word, humbly confess to him through prayer, and here it is, humbly step out for him in obedience. Obey him. Take the stroll across the street, across the hockey arena, across the soccer field, whatever it is, in the grocery store, humbly step out as the Lord. You you don't have to pray, Lord, give me opportunities. It's going to happen. The question is, will we embrace those opportunities? Right in front of us. See, and be encouraged, church. Eyes up here. Kids, eyes up here. When you go back into your classrooms on Monday, remember this, okay? God is not looking for your ability to do this. He's looking for your availability to share the gospel with those around you. Are you going to make yourself available? This is who he loves to show his power through. Those nobodies from nowhere who know they're inadequate, but he is sufficient. So how about you, parents, spouses? How about you with your classmates and your friends? Are you trying to depend on your own strength? Are you joyfully recognizing your weakness? What the world exalts, the Lord turns from. He says, I want weakness, not your power. And are you dependent on Christ's sufficiency so you can declare the truth with loving boldness in knowing the power doesn't come from you and the outcome is dependent on God alone and not your abilities or mine? So you'll see it on the screen. It says this. You may feel like you lack eloquence. You may feel like you lack eloquence, but I guarantee that in Christ you'll never lack power. Amen? You may think you lack eloquence, But I guarantee you, based on the authority of God's word, if you are saved in Jesus Christ, you will never lack power. Only Christ's power can change a heart. What or who are you depending on? See, Paul understood what we must today. Intellectual persuasion, our abilities, gospel gimmicks, they don't save people. Only the saving power of the gospel does it. It is preached boldly through dependence on one message, Christ crucified, and dependence on one power to see Christ magnified. And Jesus calls us to preach the gospel and we must proclaim it boldly in his power. Will you? And let's stand to prepare for worship right now. Let's stand as we see this last section of verses on the screen. As a sobering reminder, as we get ready to head out into the workforce, into our neighborhoods this week, into our families, into the classroom. Here it is. How then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him who they've never heard? There are people all around you right now who've never heard the truth of the gospel. And how are they to hear without someone, you, preaching? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Preach the gospel this week, loved ones, and use words because they're necessary. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, your word is so clear. Um, what, What freedom we have right now. What freedom to know that the power of salvation is not in our hands. What freedom we have right now to know that the message of the gospel is enough 
those people right now, even right now as you're praying, church, lift up a prayer for that person that the Lord just put on your heart to share the gospel with, that it's enough for that person. Who is that? Just bring them to the Lord and ask for their salvation and pray boldly, boldly. That person right there, one message, one power is enough to get them. Lord, right now, I pray that you would be filling us with boldness and fervency and confidence, not in ourselves, but in you, that the message of God is enough to see the work of God fulfilled. And so I pray for repentance all across this room of where in our pride we're relying on ourselves. If I had just done this, if I had just said this, if I could just be like that person, whatever. We lay all that down right now and say, Christ, be magnified. Jesus, you must increase and I must decrease. In Jesus' name, amen. Loved ones, let's stand. Well, you are standing, love it. And uh, let's sing loudly on this. Make this our anthem moving forward. Let's go.